0: All right. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? My name is Luke Thomas. The date is uh, technically the 26th of September 2021, and it is time for our UFC 266 post fight show. UFC 266 is now in the books. It is late as balls. It is 116 in the morning. And yes, I know there's going to be everyone in the UK being like, but it's really late here. I know. But you know, this is a US based event. It's fucking late. Okay. So in any case, uh what are we gonna do we're gonna get to all of the results we're gonna get to all of the analysis and there is a lot on this i'm gonna have to skip some stuff on the middle to back end of this car just to give the three top fights all the analysis they deserve so if you don't want spoilers now's your time to go if you are watching this please give a video the thumbs up hit that subscribe button we do this show Well, with me and my co-host, Brian Campbell, we do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but we do all kinds of post-fight stuff, reactions, on the ground, you name it. So give the video a thumbs up, hit subscribe, and without further ado, let's get this party started. All right. So now that you have liked the video, and now that you have subscribed... Let's talk about some of these results. And, of course, if you're sticking around, I'm assuming that you are okay with the results being told. All right, let's get to it. Uh, UFC 266 took place in, oops, here we go, took place at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. In your main event, Alexander Volkanovsky defeats Brian Ortega via unanimous decision. The scores were 49-46. 50-45, 50-45, which I'm kind of surprised by, and then 50-44, which is also surprising to a degree. Not a big one, but a little one. Um, okay, <sighs> what do you want to say about this fight? I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was uh, that was something. That was something. First thing I think I'll say is they kind of alluded to it after the fact. Volkanovsky's so running on um like media speak that he doesn't even realize like he like immediately contradicted himself because he was asked by dc do you think you're finally going to get some respect and i think it's like you know i'm finally gonna fucking get some and then right after that he says uh quite the opposite he goes i don't care if i get any respect um you know keep doubting me fuels me it's like well you know all right which is it but neither here nor there this was a fight though that he was looking to get some respect i think there he, people uh there's probably a couple of reasons for it one he had two fights with max holloway that were very very close especially the second one and he won both of them somewhat or to many people's perceptions uh, quite controversially he won those um he had beaten jose aldo in the fight prior to that and chad mendez prior to that and had a nice run in fact he's on a 19 or now 25 win streak um But he had beaten a fan favorite, number one, he had beaten a fan favorite twice, somewhat controversially. The first time I don't think it's all that controversial, personally speaking, but the second time I think there's a little bit more room for debate. And fans just did not want to give him a lot of props. They didn't want to acknowledge what he was doing. I think they thought that he was not a pretender per se, but he was not on Max's level, and that this was really, in in certain perceptions, a bit of a robbery. And again, it wasn't like he viciously KO'd Jose Aldo, whereas Max finished Aldo twice. So what was really going on there? In addition to sort of the Max thing, if you just look at the way Volkanovski fights, it is, uh, there are moments in this fight in particular that were very, very impressive, but for long stretches of the Holloway fights, it was a lot of fainting, cut, inside cut kick, circling out, um, you know, a jab to the body, circling out, fainting. It was just a lot of not, not super meaningful in terms of being action-oriented um, offense. And uh, I think there were folks being like, well, you know, he's good, but he's not, like, that good. Or they were, they were just trying to look at that in some way as saying they have a right to diminish his stock. I don't think you got a right to diminish it. I never thought you had one after the two Holloway fights because I've been saying, like, and not just me, but everyone who's looked at the tape that has even a halfway decent idea of what they're looking at. You could just tell that this dude is very impressive in what he's doing, but what it often means is that he freezes opposition, hits them, sometimes not all, not all that hard, and then he exits and he's gone, and this process repeats itself over and over and over again on, on uh, ad nauseum over the course of 25 minutes. In any case, he takes all of that baggage into this fight, and it was more or less playing out that way, I thought, that Ortega had a better response for some of the leg kicking. I thought Ortega had a bit of a better response for some of the early counter striking. Um, There there was a few things I thought Ortega was doing really, really well. Uh, And then the fight began to, I think, slip away from Ortega a little bit. And it was starting to look a little bit bad for him. He was starting to get tuned up until he finally, I have to go back. we'll look at the stats here in just a second, third or fourth round, whatever round it was. Uh, it looked like he hit Volkanovski enough to either rock him or to bare minimum off balance him. He goes to the ground and Ortega begins to clamp on him for a guillotine from mount that <laughs> you just I like. It's hard to explain something like a lot of times when you're dealing with submissions. Uh, it can take time once you're in the finishing position to finally secure it with all the details that it need. Like it needs. Like for example, if you're just learning how to do the head and arm triangle, that actually takes a fair amount of experimentation. Like a choke from the back, usually if you're just elbow position and grip, you know someone can be strong enough to kind of rip that one back. Or even an arm bar, even if your knees aren't pinched together, whatever, all that has to happen. You can still kind of just drive your hips under it and, and yank it out. Again, uh, details matter. But I'm saying there can be exceptions to the rule. But it can take time to finesse the final stages of a submission sometimes, which means you're telegraphing it, but it just that's what it requires to get those details just right. Dude, Ortega has this ability to clamp on a submission almost instantly. It's shocking how fast and good his clamp is. And dude, he put on... At first, a mounted guillotine attempt, then a triangle attempt, and then there was another one, either that round or later. I'm trying to remember if it was from the back or whatever it was. Another armbar. Another third one, but the, there was the mounted guillotine, and then there was the triangle back-to-back. And I'm telling you, for that mounted guillotine, that might be the most... If someone is trying to armbar you, there are a particular set of escapes or various uh, techniques to get to the escape that you have to employ to get your arm out to safety. And that's true whether they are you're on your back and they're on their back, whether you're in their guard. There's a series of things you can typically do to get out of it. At some point, though, you just kind of have to have the willpower to drive through bad spots or the there's a part of submission defense that is technique oriented and then there's a part of submission defense that is just willpower dude that was (laughs) on the willpower side of submission escapes not the technique side of it per se although there was some of that involved too but on the willpower side that is the maybe the most incredible amount of resilience i've ever seen Maybe I, 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 you know, I'm sure that someone can find another one that's going to be pretty goddamn special. To do that with two of them back to back, especially with that guillotine, but the triangle was tight too. Um, shocking, shocking level of resilience, and then for Volkanovsky, to in both of those cases, and even the third attempt, I have to figure out what it was. I'll look at my notes here and fight metric in just a second. But um, to do that in that way then go into his guard, stay there. The whole time, you know, you've know you got Ortega swiveling his hips, trying to set up angles and elevate and get those positions that he needs to launch into submissions. Dude, if you didn't respect Volkanovski sufficiently, even if you thought he didn't deserve to win one or both of the Holloway fights, boy, you better come around today. Today is the day to make amends for being late for that. Today is the day... To recognize that what you're looking at is going to be a guy that is very, very, very tough to beat. Very tough to beat. Uh, You know, and you can say what you want about the judging, but between Max Holloway and Brian Ortega, they collectively have had 15 rounds to do it, and they couldn't get it done. I'm not sure they've won five rounds between them uh, out of the 15. Uh, He is another dimension of difficulty that um we'll talk about some of the the modernity of the modern mma game when we get to nick diaz but you're looking at an extremely modern version of it let's look at some of these numbers if we can here for this fight i want to compare this a little bit if we have these come to us from uh fight metric yeah he landed more volkanovsky did than he did in either of the two previous fights with Holloway. He landed 157 significant strikes in the first fight with Holloway, and in the second. He landed 164 here. Um, Ortega is credited with two takedowns. Holloway got none. Volkanovski got three in the second. How many strikes did he attempt in the first Holloway fight? He attempted 303. How many did he attempt in the second one? He attempted just 275. That's a big drop off. How many did he attempt in this one? 3.77. Good lord. Good lord. 52 significant strikes attempted in round one. 61 in round two. 99 in round three. That's just stunning. Um, 58 in round four. And then 83 he attempted. Excuse me, 50 he landed. But 83 he attempted in round number five. <laughs> wow, man that is an impressive fighter that is an impressive fighter all right so if you're new to this show you might be asking how does Volkanovsky do what he does number one this is sort of a general disclaimer for everything you're going to hear here because I do need to say this like I am reacting quite literally in real time the fights just ended I have not had a chance to go back and review the tape and to the extent that I do I might find that my opinion about certain things changes over time but to the extent I'm strictly off memory um and sort of watching him and doing some breakdowns on him previously. Here's what you need to sort of pay attention to with with Volkanovski. And if you've seen my breakdowns and everything else, this will be a a repeat, so I'll make it kind of quick. But the basic idea is that if you notice he walks up and he can switch stances and everything else, but no matter what stance he's in, he presents to you a certain look. And he wants you to think that that look means something. Whether it means he's gonna move in a direction or throw something or attempt something and go the other way, he wants you to think that you know what that is. And when you begin to make adjustments to that, he changes the whole ball game where he'll change angle he'll change stance through combination he will go low and then come high he will you know you name it he'll hand fight here throw here Then the next time he'll hand fight here and then go underneath then the next time he'll kind of lean over and hand fight here and then he'll throw with this one and then this one will go under then this one will go over and then he'll go to a takedown like it all builds on itself it becomes difficult to, to register over time dude i'm telling you i'm I, I don't know how to explain this to folks that is an In terms of never letting an an opponent get started i don't know who does a better job than him in fact i have to tell you they are very different fighters in different sports with different strategies and different everything but there was one commonality today one commonality and you should really think about this if 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 you haven't seen the other fight yet Uh, and even if you have this should be i think a little bit more understood there is a technique or at least a strategy or an orientation even that binds what Alexander Usyk did to Anthony Joshua today and what a guy like um, Volkanovski did. There are huge differences. Again, they're different sports for crying out loud. Uh, there are very many meaningful differences, but one of them is what you noticed is that I would say the game of Volkanovski is a little bit more um, part of what Usyk was doing was uh, almost spamming opponents. He is so in your face constantly, switching sides, playing with distances, shooting low with his his punches obviously, and then coming high or around the corner or drawing reactions and then going out there, right? But it's this constant effort to give you a bunch of different looks to overwhelm you so that you can't ever really get going. You're kind of always making half adjustments, you can get a little bit of a punch out but not too much, You know it's a bit of a problem dude volkanovsky borrows again some of some of that orientation i'm speaking in broad strokes here but this orientation of getting in your face making you think something's coming by the way the volume look at the volume over time it's high it can pick up over time and it's so that you're constantly in a position where you can't ever really get going, right? When it when it works, obviously, and it works for the most part, but when it works, that's what it does, and it breaks guys down, and it causes problems, and you can also sort of note that uh, there was an inadvertent headbutt in rounds two or three that caused a nose break on Ortega that I'm sure played a substantive and major, you know, no doubt about it role. But I think even without that, you'd have a hard time, I think, arguing that he would have you know, cruised to victory or something. Do there is something about guys in the modern game where having, you know, you're weaponizing pace, you have high volume, but it's rhythm interruption. It is never letting your opponent get started because you are the one who is constantly driving um, those exchanges in those ways. You are the one that sets the tone. You are the one that gives the feints and the looks and the angle change and the stance switch. And then you build upon all of the creative options that you have created for yourself. And your opponent is sort of always in this position where they can be quite literally on the physical back foot, um, although not necessarily that, but they can, they can often do that, where they don't know when to blitz. They don't know when to, to... There was a lot of times Ortega in the first and second round was walking into those overhand rights. You saw that a lot. He, did, he scored that on max as well. It's one of his bread and butter techniques um you have your those constant inside kicks that's what I mean Ortega did a good job of shutting some of that down and checking it in fact he got away from it later as the fight went on which I thought was a bit of a mistake but again who knows how he was feeling and everything else you know I say mistake it's not like I'm his coach I just mean it was working earlier and uh, it wasn't immediately clear why he couldn't use them later but you know I'm sure there'll be some answer we'll get to later but think about that for just a second listen if you're fighting another pro fighter at the highest level at the very highest level it can be hard to mma is wild and chaotic but even then it can be hard to land clean on them and it it happens enough where you can see guys at the very highest level get finished quite early, or you know um, after a couple of rounds, like a finish is hardly something rare. I'm just pointing out it, it can you you can go long stretches without ever really landing clean on someone. And so, what are you going to do in a fight where you can't bank on that? You have to build a style that you can scale over time, and a style that or that Volkanovsky has brought ha, has incorporates the physicality of um uh clinch positions top devastating top pressure in terms of uh ground and pound um it is a style of striking that is i mean undyingly confusing for opponents especially the longer it goes on because the longer it goes on it's when he begins to build all the puzzles on top of each other, uh, removing the stuff that doesn't work early, bringing the stuff in that does later, and then making it even more potent. It's why like, you don't see people like constantly take him over in the second and third and fourth rounds. He tends to escalate in that period because he has, he has taken out the things that have caused him trouble and then brought in those other ones. So like, guys who can make adjustments over rounds and then disrupt rhythm, freeze you, strike you, and move. Dude, it's a problem. It's a problem. It's a massive, massive problem. For anybody at 145 pounds, dude, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think folks really, you know, the kinds of I, I don't. I, I, there's lots of opinions about Volkanovski that are totally justifiable, justifiable, and and of course, plenty of people give him respect too. But I do think there has been a lingering hesitancy to acknowledge um, that's the bleeding edge of the of the fight game in terms of tactical and strategic mastery. That doesn't mean it's the most exciting. That doesn't mean that um, other styles can't be dominating and, and win. Like, if you think about the style that Habib has, it's certainly quite lopsided. That that would not be a criticism of Volkanovski. But this, again, I'll say it one more time, and I wanna repeat myself so many times, but this orientation of disrupting rhythm, that's not new. But the method in which they do it, the fainting, the, all the elements of the MMA fight game that they put in together, it's going to be uh it's going to be extremely difficult. Extremely difficult for anyone to beat him. Max has his hands full. And you might be thinking, "Oh, Max can do it." And Max can do it. Max can do it. I thought he kind of did it ish in the second one. Second one I thought was pretty close. But you can see, dude, I mean <laughs> Max is having trouble with this guy for a reason. For a reason. He is special. When you're when you're that kind of a physical force who's that much of a pro, where you know you're always on weight and you're always in the gym, and you're probably training smart in terms of like uh, injury management, and you have this accumulated wisdom now. And you got a great, I mean, dude, you got a brilliant coaching staff, um, and you've begun to put together this style that the very best guys just cannot decode. Um, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough now. There's another piece to this equation, which is just sort of leaving to the side Brian Ortega, which I do not wish to do. First of all, the one thing I'll say about, about Brian Ortega, he took a massive beating through three rounds. I wasn't sure that the fourth needed to happen, but even there, he showed some 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 great resiliency. Kind of always in it with the with the with the submission attempts. Kind of always in it with um, you know takedowns and clinching and sort of seeing what he could do. I really thought after that fourth round, like they don't have to let him out for this one. And he went out there and I thought maybe even won that. That's why I said I thought the scores were a little weird. He, he maybe even won that fifth round, depending on, on your perspective. Nevertheless, he gave an effort that was, I mean, Max put a beating on a much more junior version of this Brian Ortega. And even that Brian Ortega, um, you know, I think they called it on his behalf. Uh, you know, they, they, I, don't, I don't think they wanted to let the fight continue. I think he would have if they had let him. Um This one showed um, a lot more resiliency to the final bell, or I should say, yeah, just a lot more. He wasn't taking quite as much abuse in this sort of like waterfall, you know, striking kind of way where Max just puts this tremendous volume on you. And then it begins to just, guys are just getting rained on. There's just so much punching coming your way. That This one had a little bit more of a different kind of, it had plenty of that. But it also had takedowns. And although some of that ground and pound I thought was in the fourth, fourth round in the fourth. When he was getting absolutely just fucking banged on on top. Whew, I thought the fight was going to get stopped there, too. But, dude, Brian Ortega, the point I'm trying to make is, one, he showed incredible poise and bearing in very difficult circumstances. Those those clamps he was trying to latch showed he was mentally very much in that fight and really believed in his jiu-jitsu, and he should. The fact that Volkanovski got out of it, I don't... Man, if you have never trained and you like, you don't know like how hard it is to get those clamps on certain things so quickly and to watch how fast he does it, and then to watch the submission resiliency dude it just that's not what jiu-jitsu looks like for like 99 percent of people for 99 percent of people it takes a second or two typically not always to snatch up a submission somebody might snatch up a choke from from the back you know pretty quickly but the ways in which he was doing it are are very rare and then the resiliency that volkanovsky showed to get out is more or less unheard of um that's just not what jiu-jitsu looks like for the overwhelming majority of people. But okay, so for Ortega, incredible resiliency, incredible bearing. I really respect how he went to his jiu-jitsu and made a, a full-throated effort behind it, even if it didn't work. I liked how he was checking some of the kicks. I like how they were trying to disrupt it, j- disrupt Volkanovsky with a jab. I like how they were catching the kicks. If there's one thing, uh, someone, I'll give this person credit. Uh, there was a person I, I interviewed for the uh, internship, and they, they train. And, uh, for my personal channel anyway. And uh, he was sort of noting like one way to make up the difference. It's a good point actually. One of the ways to make up the difference in wrestling if you're not quite as adept. Those sort of doubles and singles and high crotches and fireman's carries, is to sort of get better as a skill in terms of catching kicks. It can make up the differential in takedown ability. Um, and just just as a way to sort of shut down some of what he was trying there, less so with takedowns per se, but keeping him honest, I thought the catching of the kicks by Ortega was, was really, really, really good. Uh, I do worry about the amount of damage he's taken. He didn't take hardly any that I can remember of a significant kind against Chan Sung Jung, but he got worked over. By Max, and this was bad too. Even if, again, some of it's not so much from the strikes themselves, but the um, what do you call it? The uh, the headbutting, the inadvertent head strikes. Um, so I do worry about that. I worry that he is so popular that they. I wasn't against this title shot. They needed to do something different with the division when they had it, and they needed to get some fresh blood in there. Just giving the fight to Max again didn't make a ton of sense. But you can just see, dude, Max. I mean, just think about what Max and or and um, Volkanovski are doing to the rest of that division. They've polished off Aldo twice, Max did, so he sent him to bantamweight, and, and Volkanovski beat him too. Um, but in terms of just, like, damaging people, Polished off Aldo twice, collectively we're talking about, polished him off twice, uh, put a beating on Ortega, both of them did, and sent Mendez more or less into retirement. Um, You know, they're just out here sending people to divisions and retirements and giving them epic beatings, like, they're hurting these boys out here, man. They're giving them solid work, solid work. It is shocking what they are doing. Um. So they have found themselves in a position now where the trilogy fight at 145 pounds is the only one to make. But you can see, man, they are, the, the, the gap between Max and Volkanovski and the rest of that division. Oh, and add Cater to the list. So you have Aldo, Cater, uh, Mendez, Ortega. You know, again, between them in terms of you take the best of what both have done as sort of a, a united front. Dude, they're fucking featherweights up, man. They're fucking him up. And uh, you just have no choice at this point but to put Max and and Volkanovski together. Uh, In terms of some of the adjustments I thought Volkanovski made, he he began to look much more like himself by the third round. I think at that point he began to get a clear sense of distance. You'll notice what he'll do is he'll throw a jab, then pull, and then throw a two, and then pull again. And not only was the timing beginning to work for him, but I noticed that um, several times he would jab and then pull, and then go back for the for the for the two. And when he did, um, and then pull again, so he's pulling twice for two punches. I noticed that Ortega a lot of times was just short. So it looked to me like obviously the first round Ortega was had a much better opportunity to land. The second round there was still some of that. Uh, and again, you would not exactly know that Ortega had the reach disadvantage. Um, it looked to me like, you know, it felt it felt a little bit like he had the reach advantage, even if he wasn't weaponized that way or measured in a way that matters. Um, so I really, I, I thought the timing of, of of what Volkanovsky was doing was good, but th- it was that third round where, to me, that's when it began to change, even before everything else, by virtue of the ease with which he was able to slip into that kind of mode where it's just showing you looks, landing and going someone charges in he counters he goes you sort of constantly in that in that position and he begins to lead and back up and there was a lot of that as well um, that was a hell of a fight that was a hell of a fight that was better than either of the fights with Holloway that Volkanovsky had those were much more tactical uh, and back and forth in terms of what Max was able to do and vice versa but um, this one had much more drama Right. This is the one time where you were able to see like what happens when someone's much better than Volkanovsky in one department. The way in which Ortega did it, um, well, you know, I, I, is that really all that fair? Okay, at submissions, at submissions, Ortega is much better than Holloway. At submissions. But on the ground, what I would say is, with that kind of submission defense, which I, I think eventually you would get caught doing that. You could not do that for very much. You know, I, I realize he did it and played with fire the entire time, but you could not do that for like a career and get away with it. Someone was going to catch you eventually. But between, I would say, let's say uh, resilience, submission savvy, ground and pound, the reversal that he scored after he was in trouble in what the fourth, I believe he scored a reversal. Um. You know, again, uh, pure jujitsu. Obviously, Ortega is significantly better, but even on the ground, man, Volkanovski is pretty good. But okay, Ortega had success because, in terms of the application of submission and the submission defense and the way which he was able to do it through punishment so quickly with that quick clamp, he had a clear he had a clear lead on Volkanovski in that particular dimension. But it just wasn't enough. Due to the grit and will and determination, and dude, he must have bitten through his mouthpiece. If you guys have never seen it, go look at. I think it was UFC on Fox three, the third of those big UFC on Fox events when that thing, when that, when that whole idea really mattered. Uh, Nate Diaz, the brother of course of Nick Diaz, scores a guillotine, mounted guillotine win over Jim Miller. By the way, another black belt. Why do I bring it up? Because when it happened, if it's ever happened to you, it is extremely painful. It happened to me one time and it was really bad. If you're not careful, let's say you're breathing through your mouth and someone scores a guillotine, or at least tries to clamp it up, it is possible that your tongue can get stuck between your teeth like uh Jim Miller's got caught. So the guillotine was on like this. The guy n- nearly bit his tongue off, his own tongue, because the pressure was so tight. Dude, That looked like the kind of pressure that Ortega had. Amazing, amazing, dude I I struggle to think who else would have gotten out of that Like, could Max have gotten out of that? You want to say yes But dude, those were so tight and so quickly applied I don't know I don't know if anyone else could have gotten out of those I don't know if Jose Aldo himself could have gotten out of those And uh, obviously he had a really decorated run in jiu-jitsu Before going to MMA, at least through the brown belt level So there you have it Uh, Volkanovski doing Volkanovski things Showing new wrinkles by showing the kind of determination to get out of a bad submission situation that you may literally never see again. That that way, That's how good that is. Um, showing ground and pound. Showing a willingness to go into Brian Ortega's guard. Showing an indefatigable motor. I, I didn't think he was getting tired in the fifth. I thought he was doing Ortega a bit of a favor, quite candidly, even though Ortega was kind of putting on him a little bit in terms of just like sparing the guy a beating. Um, and you just saw that, dude, whoever is going to beat this guy is going to have to be a special fighter on a very special night. Nothing short of that will do. You're talking about the very bleeding edge of the game in terms of tactical, strategic innovation and an orientation about how to disrupt everyone else's rhythm and, uh, and process by which they can even get going in a fight. Next level, next level, next level work. All right, we'll come back to that. If you have a question, here, I'm going to put up, let's do this. This is true. Oh, you know what? Let's see. I'm going to put it right here. I got a few questions. Yeah, I got a couple of these. I'll go with these. Hold on. Let me leave leave a question here. Sorry to interrupt the flow of the show like a dumbass, but I have to. Uh, Okay, just a reminder. Thought here. You know what? Let's do this. Just got a question for me about UFC 266. Leave one here. Um, Do we want to say a whole lot about the co-main? Valentina Shevchenko defeats Lauren Murphy via TKO at four minutes of the fourth round. Um, let me look at the numbers on this. You know, I don't. Here's the thing: I like Lauren Murphy a lot. I respect her journey. Um, I respect her as a fighter. I think she's a very good fighter. Someone was asking me, "Well, if she's a good fighter, well, then how come she can't do more to Shevchenko?" Even this comparison is crude, but this is the kind of thing you should be thinking about when you think about how to answer that question. The answer is, like, how did Dustin Poirier lose to Habib? Now, Habib was a specialist in sort of just one area, whereas Shevchenko, through this fight and many other ones, has shown how well-rounded she is. But the idea is, like, dude, Dustin Poirier is a good-ass <laughs> He's a very good fighter, but it's Habib, Like, you know, very good, super elite is just not enough relative to what he had, especially on that night. Lauren Murphy's a good fighter. She won five in a row to get here. She was an Invicta champion. Like, dude, Lauren Murphy can fight. She's good. Talented, hardworking, no one did her any promotional favor. She got this one the hard way. Like, I I respect her, but, dude, this was, you know, I don't know if she was ever in this fight. Listen to some of these numbers in terms of significant strikes landed. Here's the differential. Rounds 1, Shevchenko 20, Lauren Murphy 3. Round 2, Shevchenko 10, Lauren Murphy 1. Round 3, Shevchenko 21, Lauren Murphy 5. And then when shit got really bad, where it stopped, round four, Shevchenko, 47, um, Lauren Murphy, 2. The most she was able to land in a round was five, which was round three, and that's partly because um, Shevchenko opened up a little bit more. Um, But in the end, that would be her undoing. This was not a very competitive fight. I think a lot of us knew that it was not very competitive going in. Um, I did not know exactly what, I thought Lauren Murphy could do to meaningfully improve her chances. You know, the one answer that I gave on Morning Combat was, you know, just standing at range with her and trying to like outsmart her probably will go real bad. So, you know, you have to kind of just, you know, bite down on the mouthpiece a little bit, but you have to, you know, brawl a boxer, box a boxer, brawler. You kind of had to make it ugly and get in her face. But like, it's it, it that's so much easier said than done. It, it, it's it's silly to even say that and to a degree because. You can't just chase down a person like that. Like that, they're a matador and a bull. Like eventually, you'd be able to make contact if you didn't get viciously KO'd. But you know, you're gonna. It's not smart to do that. You're gonna get hurt doing that. You may not. The fight may end before it even begins. Doing that, like there's all kinds of risks doing that. If you can do that, if you can get to this person without getting slept, and you can kind of you know clinch with them and then kind of dirty box with them, and maybe maybe there's something that could happen there. Try your hand at a takedown, see how it goes. But the problem is. Dude, Shevchenko's distance management is incredible. Her fainting is incredible. Her speed is uh, better than her peers. Her athleticism is far better than her peers. Um, her takedown ability is strong. Her fight IQ is exceptional. Like, she makes good choices. She has good weapons to use. She has good physicality to pull off whatever she's trying to do. Um, and she's careful when she needs to be, and presses the gas when when the doors are open. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure what to say about that. She had um, a total of 98 strikes. Shevchenko landed Murphy a total of 11. Just 12 percent of her strikes were significant strikes. 19 out of 100 total. Uh, so those could be like small strikes, like hammer fists or whatever. Um, this was this was probably as advertised. Up through the, or I should say, starting with the Holly Holm fight, it's kind of funny. She just had the one loss with Nunez, but even if you count that, even if she had won that, it would have been a decision. So, since beating Holm, Shevchenko has alternated between decisions and then stoppage wins, and then decision and stoppage, decision and stoppage. And her last fight was a TKO. And, like, heading into round four, I think some folks were like, Jesus, are we going to get, you know, uh, a uh, another decision here? It looked that way until round three when she began to really start heating her up and you know it's the same kind of things you would expect from shevchenko one two leg kick when she was sort of backing out straight which you heard her coach talk about um the left over the top was surprising lauren murphy her hand speed of shevchenko was surprising lauren murphy she was just never really in this one uh this was a this was a listen why would you make a fight like this because we say that lauren murphy earned it if you are the champion it is your responsibility to make that belt available to contenders at a reasonable schedule, right? You owe that to them. You owe that to the, to that division. You owe them, much like a mandatory would work in boxing, which, by the way, Usyk was a mandatory for Joshua. You owe them, even if the, you don't think they deserve it or you just think the styles you know, would be boring, whatever. Whatever objection you might have, Someone's got enough of a case for it, and again, with the matchmaker model, it's whatever they want it to be. But you know, five wins in a row in that division is impressive. Where she was clearly like the top candidate for it, you owe it to them to give them a shot. And if they fail, then they fail. But that—that's your responsibility. That's what this fight was about. Lauren Murphy had achieved uh, uh, something really uh, commendable. And had earned an opportunity against somebody who she, to, to her credit, she was like, "I don't want to beat easy fighters to beat. I want to beat hard fighters to beat." Fair enough, I respect that completely. Um, she got her opportunity. It was just way too much. Way too much. She was. She could never really get going. Um, it, it it lasted as long as it did because Murphy managed the risk appropriately to, to let it keep continuing. But at some point, uh, it, there was no dice. Uh, four, Three takedowns Valentina Shevchenko is credited with. One in the first, one in the second, and a vicious one that ultimately helped to cause the stoppage um, in the fourth. Uh, at any time she attempted a takedown, she got one, which is to say um, she got one of one in the first round, one of one in the fourth round, one of two. But what I mean to say is that she didn't go over. In a round where she at least attempted one takedown, she got it. So... Um, and then established almost a full minute of control on top over four minutes. This was a this was frankly quite academic. So let's talk about the fight on this card that I know people want to talk about more than anything else. Let's talk about Nick Diaz. Okay, I man, I'm all over the place on this one. All right, Robbie, here's the official result. Robbie Law Ra, excuse me, Robbie Lawler defeats Nick Diaz, and I'm gonna put this on one second. Here we go. Robbie Lawler defeats Nick Diaz via TKO retirement. When they say retirement, they don't mean like he actually is done, although you might end up seeing that. But when they say retirement, that means he did not elect to continue. Uh, at 44 seconds of the third round. Okay. Um. Whew, man. So let's start a little bit back. Okay. Okay. My timeline was split on Twitter tonight. So half of my timeline thought that he looked sad, Nick Diaz, and they were kind of watching through their fingers and they were kind of like bummed out by the whole thing. The other half, and they go a few different shades, but the general thing that unites them is um, they thought he was great. They thought that was great. They thought that was hugely commendable. So like I have half my timeline being like he should retire, he's sad, and then I have another half of my timeline being like, that was awesome. Like, that was way better than it should have been. And then I had a bunch of people being like, oh, it's both. Everyone is all over the place on this one. Here's what I saw. I saw, and again, I'm, I'm hearing from people. I'm I'm working with limited information here. I am certain we're going to find out things about Nick Diaz later on. It's going to make me say, you know, we have to update the analysis on this, right? But from what I know right now, there it, we may have found out that he... Was unable to train for up to only six weeks for the fight and I I don't know what the reasons for that might be but He did not look to be in tremendous physical condition, Uh, if I can just be candid um, Didn't look terribly out of shape, but he definitely looked a lot older Which of course time has passed, but I mean like he really was wearing it Um, He looked very slow to me, very slow I thought that he got warmed up by the second round First, First half of the first round he looked at me like he was just underwater. Uh, Lawler came out hot. Lawler always always comes out hot. Um, but uh, then he started be seeing Nick pulling off nice right hand, both 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 shots, left and right to the body, but beautiful right hooks to the body. He began to get a lot of straights and then hook combinations. That by round two, you begin to see like three, four, five, six, seven punch combinations. So like. Uh, you did see on the good side some of the characteristic Diaz boxing for which he is quite famous and has had some pretty spectacular wins. So, like, there was this mixed bag already, right? It started a little bit slow for him. He picked it up. Uh, The combination started to flow. He was landing. He was marking up Robbie Lawler. He's still getting hit. You know, Robbie Lawler was always in it, but he was doing his thing even if he looked a little bit out of shape. And I'm not saying that he was... I don't know exactly what kind of shape he was in. I'm just saying... Like, here's the thing, dude. Like, we know that Diaz's boxing isn't designed for, like, maximum power every time. But it didn't even look to me like his power carried to 185. I didn't see really any evidence. Like, dude, you're up, like, two weight classes from where you fought uh, at various times in your career. And I just didn't see a lot of evidence that um, that, that was even working for him in, in that way. And, like, you know, we're not talking about a Lawler who's, like, is he even ranked? I don't think he's even ranked, you know? So, like... So like that just didn't work out for him. But as I mentioned, like dude, that when he was flowing, he was flowing. Like the, And there was good punches and then hard shots that he was landing. But the problem was, man, he just couldn't get Lawler off of him. I'm not saying that Lawler didn't think anything of the punching power, but it didn't really deter him. It didn't back him up. It didn't send him reeling. It didn't have him waiting too long on the outside. He kind of just, and both of them did it, both of them, credit where it is due, two legends. Um kind of just stood in front of him and it began to wear him down and do the leg kicks he went after him over and over and over again those all basically went unchecked and then he began to just work the body uh, a few times there was a couple though I think a body kick and then a left hook to the body that really hurt Diaz in that second or third round where he was you could see him kind of hold it together Anyway, the fight eventually ends this way. It was a, uh, I have to go back and look, but I think it was a body shot that, or a right hand that dropped him. He goes to a knee. He didn't like drop like this, but he takes a knee. And uh, then he kind of falls over. Lawler looks like he's going to follow for a second, doesn't let him, backs out. So then the referee can make him stand. And then he declined to stand. And so the, they, they waved it. That's the end of it. I don't begrudge him the stoppage at all. Dude, you were off for almost seven years. I don't know what kind of training environment that he's going to get out of wherever the hell he was at. Uh, if you don't want to take more abuse and you're not in there to win beyond dealing with that, then don't. Like I don't. People want to make character judgments about it. I don't. Like I've, like I've seen prime Nick Diaz. I, you know his character cannot be questioned. Could you? Could you? Doubt his commitment to the fight game at this stage? Yes, I think that's quite normal to do. So all the more reason when he says he's had enough to believe him. He had enough. I don't have any issue with that. That guy's bona fides are already written in stone. You can't take it away from him. You can only say, like, you know, how is he applying it at this stage? And again, that that to me seems very reasonable. But here is the problem that I come up with. Now, I can believe all the different arguments about Nick. I really can. I can understand how you could look at that and be like, dude, he was kind of flowing there for a while. Because in certain stretches and for a little while, he was flowing. He was flowing. I can also understand how you could look at that and say, dude, by the, the quality of the way in which he he was finished, that probably would have never happened in an earlier part of his career. Uh, along with the weight, along with the movement, and the age, and sort of the obvious physical decline, And you can get, you know, an uneasy feeling about him continuing and about what state he's in these days. I can understand both of them. I think there's another piece, though, that's being lost. I think it was Conor Rebush. I could be wrong about that, but I think he had a piece on Bloody Elbow this week talking about how Diaz for a time was ahead of the game. Um, There's, you know, with accurate, crisp boxing and understanding how those fundamentals could be brought to MMA and then weaponizing cardio in the way they were doing it and some of the training methods and the triathlons and everything else there's much more to the story I'm grossly oversimplifying it but there was a time when the Diaz brothers both of them were kind of vanguards about new practices that the game had to catch up to one of the things I have not seen discussed that really sort of stood out to me was that Diaz Diaz's boxing is quite good when he's flowing but his overall style seems to me a little bit outdated why wouldn't it be? It hasn't really been updated in about seven years. This style he was using, I think, 10 years ago, would have been a lot more effective than it's going to be today, assuming that he continues. And I think he will be. I'm not saying he won't win. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know who they're going to match him up with. I, I don't even know if he's going to fight again. Like, I know he said he would if he lost and whatever, but like, that could have been the last time we see Nick Diaz fight. Who knows? Who knows? Who the hell knows? What I'm trying to point out is he was very flat footed, there was no checking of the kicks. There was no real ability to take it to the ground. There was no real willingness to take it to the ground. Part of that's physical decline and time off. By the way, he probably had ring rust too in all fairness to Nick. I'm sure he had a substantial amount. But the flat-footedness with the sort of one-note nature of the boxing as good as it might be, dude, that's not a very modern approach to the game. That is like, you know, in many ways antithetical to everything you're seeing from some of the guys at the bleeding edge of strategic innovation in the game. Um, The game is all about, like, a high level of activity consistently and motion and movement and creating opportunities through not merely just the motion itself, but the feinting with the motion and everything else. Like, it involves a sort of fairly dynamic process. Not everyone has to fight that way, but the best strikers tend to have, whether they're bouncers or step and sliders, they tend to have that element. That element was just missing. I mean, Lawler, in many ways, just kind of accommodated him, although he was pressing uh, Diaz onto his heels rather than accepting him pressing forward but the idea was like at range they were so close to each other that the one guy was kind of, they were they were accommodating each other I think is the fair way to put that all I'm saying is um if you it, it's like a Rorschach test right you, you guys know what a Rorschach test is they show up a picture of like a bunny it's kind of like you know almost like splashed on a page and they ask you what you see and some people see a bunny, some people see a duck some people see a fox or whatever, whatever the fuck they see and whatever their answer is, is supposed to be some kind of revelation about who they are. I think if you if you liked some of the things you saw and you were pretty pleased by it, I don't know that that's wrong, I don't think that's wrong, but it probably says you're a big Nick Diaz fan, you're you're high on like Nick Diaz moments, and there's, not, not that I'm in, jud- in any way judging it, uh, but that probably tells you about the level of Nick Diaz fandom, I think. Um, and again, there's going to be fans who probably thought he didn't look great, but if you didn't think he looked great, there probably is a degree of fandom that's absent. Um, what I just don't think should be lost is, if he is going to continue, the thing that really, I mean, more than just the, his physical size and his sort of lethargy in terms of speed, it was how outdated the overall model of his game is relative to the challenges of modern MMA. To me, that frankly stood out the most uh, of everything I saw. Um, that was what kind of bothered me a little bit. It was that there are just certain, he moved in certain ways. And again, six years off, 38 years old, um, may have had poor training camp, who knows. So all those factors are going to contribute, but he was just moving in a way that like the very best modern fighters would never dream of, that you couldn't get away with it with the fights that they're in. And yes, I know that despite the fact that Nick talk, talks about fighting Kamar Usman, he's not going to. So I don't really know what to say to about Nick again. I think if the UFC can find an opponent for him, that he wants to fight I think he has certainly earned the right to have another one um the fact that he called it to me like the fact that he called it quits before he took a hellacious beating frankly works in his favor to be honest because he you know he got hit hard tonight but he didn't take a tremendous like ass kicking right so if he wants to get back out there in you know relatively short order and he can pass a medical and whatever else like yeah, okay, fine. Like go he's he's I didn't get the sense that like, oh, he has to retire tonight. I got the sense that like um there are probably a handful of fights available that if both parties can uh find an agreement on that they could pursue. Um something of a legends tour, which I know UFC is not particularly great about, but um I think they I think they could do that. I think that, that there's a, there's a there's an opportunity there, but Uh, beyond that I don't know I don't know where this UFC Nick Diaz experiment really goes um also I would like to see him at 170 so again ring rust times a thousand bad camp or whatever it was let's say he can correct that with a camp that he was proud of in terms of length and difficulty let's say he can get down to 170 um I think you might see a, a faster Nick I think you might see uh you know, more dialed in, Nick. He didn't seem fully dialed in with everything here at this time. Whatever the circumstances, that might explain that, fair or unfair. I, I think he showed enough. For me, for me, I'm confident in saying he showed enough that, depending on the matchmaking, and again, that Nick's going to be a tough customer to get him to agree to a deal. Um, I, think, I think there's a few fights they could probably figure out. Maybe they could do Connor. Masvidal, they could potentially do the Masvidal ones To me, is kind of interesting because Nate seemed a little bit overpowered by both both Nate and uh, Jorge Masvidal he used to fight at one hundred and fifty five and now fight at one hundred and seventy. But like Masvidal is like a pretty normal size welterweight. Nate was kind of always a bit of a smaller ish welterweight, and I think there was a physical difference you saw when they when they fought. This one um, was a little bit, I should say. Nick, I think, would provide a much sterner challenge. But, you know, you have to say, like, in fairness to that fight, Lawler bought it, brought it completely. As I mentioned, both guys accommodated each other with range. There were long stretches of that fight. I mean, dude, these guys, think about this for just a second. Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz made their pro debuts before (laughs) 9-11. Before 9-11. Like, we just got out of Afghanistan. Everyone's talking about how long that was. Those dudes started before the thing that started us to get into Afghanistan to begin with. And they're fighting after we're out of Afghanistan. Like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, and then they would fight with that kind of ferocity and like phone booth fighting range. Dude, you have to respect that. You have to respect that. You have to take your hat off to them. Lawler and Diaz, both of them did. You know, I'm not saying this is what the first fight should have been, because the first fight's magic is I would never want to mess with that. But I thought, um, I thought both of them made a. I'll say this for sure. I thought both of them gave what they probably had to give at this stage, given the circumstances, um, for a for a good old fashioned up close fist fight, high level, you know, or to the level that they can produce. Um, Obviously, they're you know trained and experienced professionals. But um, that's what I would say. So to me, a lot of mixed feelings about Diaz. A lot. I think it will depend on when he gets back, who he gets back against, and in what weight class. I don't want to see him at 185 again, not like not under these conditions where it's like fight week, and I'm like, ah, eh, can you make 185 instead of 170? Because we don't want to cut weight. Like, mm. you know, if that was anybody else, you'd be like, dude, that's red flag city up in this bitch. What are you all talking about? So, um, I, I'm not I'm not thrilled about what happened there in that sense, but. However mixed it might have been It was fun to see him back And um, Part of me even hopes he gets a second showing Because I would like to see What a second go-round After a long layoff Might do for improvements I don't want If he is this fast And he can't get to welterweight Then it just is what it is I have a feeling that There's a chance to get this A little bit more tuned in to, Dialed in, tuned up and we can get a much better product as a, as a consequence. And I think he might be happier with some of the results as well. Although, maybe not. Who the fuck knows? You know, it's Nick Diaz, right? Um, an interesting night for his return. An interesting night. Uh, very quickly, Curtis Blaze defeating Rosenstrike, uh, 3027 across the board. This is going to be the most forgotten fight maybe in UFC history. People didn't like the way it looked, and it happened before um, Nick Diaz fought. And then just got Andraj and Cynthia Calvillo, Calvillo, however you want to call it. Four fifty-four of round number one. Andraj is just a beast. Not only could she hit incredibly hard, uh, but she just is so physically sturdy that her contemporaries land on her clean dude. Cynthia was landing on her cleanly and she was just walking right through it, like Terminator style. She must have she's just so physically sturdy. Um for that weight class that their punching power has a hard time mattering with somebody of her stature. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, okay, do you have a question for me? I put up a tweet. Let's see if we can get to them. Let's see. All right, here we go. Okay. Now that Ortega has had two shots at the featherweight belt, it will be difficult for him to be given another opportunity in the future. You say that, but he's still well. I mean, I'll say this: as long as Max and Volkanovski are up there, yes. But if that apple cart turns over over time, one never knows. Where does Ortega go from here? I don't. I, don't, I think he could stay there. I just think. For the time being, he got to go back and take on easier opposition. Like, beating Chan Sung Jung was nice. Getting the boost to the, to the title shot was nice. But, like, there's clearly some work to be done. He's very talented. He's incredibly tough. But there's some work to be done. Have you noticed the trunk movement that both Adesanya and Volk use? I thought it was just Israel's thing, but I saw it from Volk 2 tonight. Could it be a CKB thing? Without you referencing exactly what you're talking about, I need to see. They both do have trunk movement, but I'm not sure what similarities. You mean like leaning over with the hand fighting? There's a lot of that. Chances Ortega gets another title shot in the next two years. Man, I lived through Uriah Faber getting a billion title shots. I would not be so surprised. If he you, if you can remain popular, you never know. Um, If you're if Ortega takes a good chunk of time off and beats Yair after Max beats him, is he right back in a position for a title shot if the timing is right? I don't think he should take a bunch of time off. I mean, time off to get, recover from this beating, but like long stretches of your career being lost to recovery is not ideal. Um, and by the way, I forgot that Max has to fight Yair. Like, oh, you guys want me to talk about the curse? Listen, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a teenager I don't believe in superstitious shit like I don't know what y'all want me to say about it oh you guys fucking caused it did we who endowed us with these powers to affect high level mixed martial arts outcomes and bouts Who, who gave us this how long does it last will it ever be broken what would break it why were we given this um obviously these are silly ass questions about a silly ass proposition if you wanted to say, is it fucking hilarious that every time you guys pick one, they end up getting routed? Oh, of course, it's hysterical. It's super funny. Um, but you know, you want me to comment on like, like Luke? What is you? What do you think about these people who handled snakes and lived? Like clearly, they must. They're onto something. No, they just handle snakes. Like uh, Volkanovsky survived a life-threatening bout of COVID and just delivered one of the most but one of the performances of the year. 10-0 now in the UFC and has faced a murderer's row. Where does he sit in your pound-for-pound rankings? I don't do pound-for-pound rankings, but I will tell you in terms of like when I think about smart, sophisticated fighters who are ahead of their peers, not just like I'm better than the number two guy in the division, but like the things that I do as a process are just better than the processes of my peers uh, as innovators and uh, whatnot. He's, He's top three in the UFC someone says, did Nick Diaz train at all for this fight? Um, I'm sure he did on some level. Thoughts on Paul Felder and Vittori exchanging tweets during the broadcast? I mean, everyone loved it because Vittori got dunked on by Paul Felder. And Paul's a great commentator. I don't share Vittori's view about him at all. But the other part is, it's like, dude, you know, UFC fighters, are they searching their own names? Or someone must have tagged him in that thing. It's like... I wish we lived in a world where, like, every time someone said something else unflattering about someone else, the world didn't die over it in MMA, but that's not the world we live in. Was Volk tiring in round five? I tend to think he wasn't. Again, I have to go back and look, but I tend to think he was doing Ortega a favor. What? Does the UFC deserve the same amount of criticism that Triller got? For letting someone like Diaz Holyfield take a fight. Holyfield is 50 fucking nine. What are you talking about? That triangle was tight. How on earth did Volt get out of it? He found just enough air to not get put out and then to turn inside of it to undo it. But that's the most insane oversimplification of one of the most difficult things I've ever seen. It's like, oh, how do those guys, you know, not drown? Oh, they just held their breath a really long time. But, you know, what does that tell you? Nothing. The headbutt. I need to go back and see it. Um, How much do you think the COVID elimination approach taken by Australia and New Zealand has hampered city kickboxing's momentum? Adesanya and Hooker like to be relatively active. We have a lottery for our spots and our uh, returnee managed isolation. And our lockdowns are the strictest. Yeah, those lockdown policies uh, in New Zealand and Australia... They are, they would never work here. Um, uh, The Australians and uh, the Kiwis seem to have a different relationship to their government where they're a little bit more trusting of it than ours would be. But they are punishing. Um, Lockdowns may or may not work. Well, there's some evidence that they work, but in the sense of containing spreads. But at the same time, the, I mean, you don't talk about taking a hammer to a problem that may need a scalpel. Like, Jesus Christ, they are. You know, you guys know my positions on um, on vaccination and, and COVID mitigation. I, I tend to be one of the more vocal proponents of both of them. Uh, but even I can recognize that some of the things that is happening uh, in those two countries can carry significant costs on people's lives and force them to rethink their relationship to living there. Valentina, too big to go down to 115, probably. Oh, Joe Musso asked a question. Opening odds for Paul Diaz. No, Diaz would still fuck Paul up. Who do you think would be Volk's hardest night out having seen tonight's action? Still Max. Still Max. If Max wins the trilogy, does Volk get the immediate rematch? You might see these guys fight four or five times, yes. Where does Volkanovsky rank among all-time great featherweights? Well, he beat two of the very best. I don't... I'm not sure about these questions because they rely on a body of work and he doesn't have quite as much of that as some others, but um, obviously in terms of talent, he's extraordinary. (laughs) What do I doordash from Chang's? Oh, you rascal. Does someone outside of Max have the potential to take out Volk? I th- I've been thinking Josh Emmett's an interesting character But who knows Where he's at these days With his time off and injuries Have we been sleeping On city kickboxing I've been telling you bitches For a long time You've been sleeping On city kickboxing <laughs> You know what I mean Like These dudes in this Tiny tiny uh, Nation Are Flying around the earth In Dan Hooker's case On short notice And fucking people up man You know Volkanovski's situation Is a little bit more Expansive than just City kickboxing But still um, pretty impressive. What'd you think of the Marab Morais stop? It seemed like Keith gave Morab a big chance, so he felt like he had to give Marlon one as well. I could have been stopped earlier for me. That's a tough loss. That 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 that's a bad loss for Marlon Morais. I don't know if he'll get bounced from the UFC, but he might. And more to the point, he had a chance to win. That was his only window because uh, Morais doesn't have a great gas tank anyway, and Morab's is the best maybe ever. In all of the UFC, and uh, he weaponizes it. And once it once Maurice was like drained, but not totally out, he was never going to get back into it. Like that, there was no going back at that point. Um, um, that's a bad loss. I hate to say it, but it's a bad loss. Does Ortega not go to his BJJ enough? Right. Here's a great way to understand this. It's quite simple, but it's a helpful method of understanding it. Um. Oh, you might be getting some smooth buffering. Hang on. Hang on. Let me turn this off. There we go. See if that helps. I don't think the stream has ended. I hope to not. See a stream that's ended? Let's see here. I might have just ended it. No. YouTube Studio? Hang on, guys. Let me get this fixed. This computer is, like, having issues. So I got to switch to my other one. Here we are There we go um, There we go Okay Uh, Let's see here Yeah, it's gonna I'm doing the best I can With the smoothness I don't know what to tell you uh, Let's go back to the questions Alright, we can call it there the, with the tech issues and everything else in the time It's 2.20 in the morning What the fuck am I doing with my life Alright Let me just say this uh, Thanks to everyone who Oh you know what I'll go to one more I'll go to one more Thoughts on a Shevchenko-Nunes trilogy Needs to happen uh, What else are we waiting on at this point Nunes has no incentive to take it But it would be the most Important fight they could do Is Chael Sonnen right to say BJJ isn't useful or worth the investment in ultra elite level MMA? Sort of. It's one of those, it's a complicated answer. For the majority of people, spending the majority of their time or a huge portion of it learning that versus other skills may not pay off. But when that happens, that's going to leave a gap in the marketplace where other people, that can then fill it by doing the exact opposite and then leveraging that um over their opponents. It probably doesn't work as well as it should top 5ish. Um but you can get pretty far with it. Right? Was that the best goddamn fight you ever watched? No, it's pretty good. How many pay-per-view buys does Nick versus Connor do? Probably still does a million cuz of the star power, but I wouldn't want to I mean they might do it. But I, I, well, one seventy, I could, I could stomach it. Did Volkanovsky prove jiu-jitsu isn't real? No, quite the opposite. You'll, you'll never see anybody. You, you might again. You might never see anyone in MMA do what he did tonight. That's how rare it is to prove that it doesn't work in the way in which the spirit of the question implies. Means that not only could Volkanovsky do it, but he could teach everyone else, to, or you know, wide swaths of people to do that. No, he couldn't. Mm-mm. No, he couldn't. So it's quite real. Uh, okay, I appreciate you guys watching. Let's do this real quick. Remember, Monday, eleven a.m. in the East. Me, Brian Campbell. You. We're going to go over everything, all the stuff that I missed. We have an announcement about something else we're bringing to the uh, channel. Remember, the live chat has been taken away. I will have an announcement about something I'm bringing over to the channel on Monday, which I think you're going to want to hear. So, uh, yeah, a lot to get to. Like the video, hit subscribe. Thank you guys so much for watching. And until next time, may all of your ex-lovers be satisfied, as Brian Campbell might say.